Hello and welcome to the Animation Communication Podcast. For your source of discussion about animation, film, fandom, and more. So please join our host, I Love Kim Possible A Lot or KP, and Lyle Convoy or Lyle Manbad. This episode contains some mild adult language. Hi everyone, welcome to this, this week slash month slash whenever the schedule let us record a new podcast episode so uh lio i don't know if you noticed but you've like your your little wine man is starting to go on all the um the new branding stuff so um how do, how do you feel about that well you have very skilled artists on your team so it's always neat to take a look at i obviously need to promote this stuff more on my end so i apologize for that but since we're talking about branding and whatnot it looked like you had a bit of a hiccup in your channel this past week or two oh well um why don't you introduce yourself first for people who aren't familiar with you before we go into that okay Uh, i am lyle convoy i run a youtube channel where i would prefer to talk about cartoons and action figures but nine times out of ten i gotta i gotta deal with the stupids but my passion is in animation art and well action figures so that's who I am, and that's what yeah, I do. Yeah, and, and then he's old. Those are his two character traits. So, <laughs> Yeah, I need a walker. I know, I know. <laughs> okay, um, so yeah, I'm sure a lot of people who are, are listening to this are just going to be like, your channel got hacked. So, like, let me just start off by saying, like, um, I don't know if I've mentioned this, like, relatively recently, but uh, YouTube's been kind of a trip for me lately. Um, you know, I, the channels, uh, or I've, I've almost been uploading for... 10 years now, I can't really, um, so yeah, um, so especially post-pony stuff, I feel like, um, people don't know to pay attention, or they take the channel for granted, um, or whatever, like, the view count for the channel has been shitty for the last two or three years show, like, you know, I've wanted to, to have growth, and that hasn't happened at all, and, you know, there's even been some reverse growth going on. So it's just been, um, you know, I still like doing it for the most part, but it's just uh, sometimes it's an uphill battle um, to to be relevant. So that's why I have to, you know, that's why I do the collabs. I mean, not all the time, but like it's a helpful part of doing collabs and being like, hey, guys, remember me? I exist. Um, so um, for those who don't know i guess all, all two of you who you know listen to the podcast but don't you know pay attention to the things that are that pay attention to the things that are happening on the social thing uh one of one of the dot the the dogs outside are barking so i don't really have any control over that right now um but yeah uh, so my channel got hacked which has never happened before um uh, so basically i had no control over it um i have two for for people who care about like the boring stuff uh logistics of it i have two separate vacation on my on my account that's associated with the channel because yes um that's important um and this guy person was able to get around that somehow i checked the google logs to see if there was a um, ip address that this person was coming from that was trackable and there was not a VP address provided, so I don't know where this person came up. So anyway, um, I basically woke up to Eddie, um, Eddie, if you don't know them, like one of my two other YouTube friends, um, 
So Eddie and Riddle, of all people, saying, hey, your channel got hacked. I'm like, what? And this person was um, streaming a uh, live stream about cryptocurrency or some bullshit. I don't know. Crypto, crypto itself has always just been like a dumb idea to me. Um, well, not as dumb as the, um, what is it, the, the AI art or um, what's, the, <laughs> what's the thing, why the thing that people make art and they sell like the nft yeah so the only like um the only the only thing i use nft is like when i'm dealing with toby and i say nft not for toby so you know that's 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 my integration (laughs) of nft i've been meaning to make like a tiktok on it or something but like yeah I, i don't know i don't really like i i work i work very hard on my own content like doing extra content like tiktok and stuff is like just makes me tired thinking about it anyway um so in our investigation of this nonsense um we found the person who hacked also did this to another channel involving um like ammunition like something that's totally not related to us at all like you know like someone who does like those gun tests and does like you know can this rifle hit this target at 35 miles i don't know I don't know anything about ammunition. Mm-hmm. Um, same with cars. I know the cars, it's a car. Um, so, but anyway, um, and the the content itself is actually from another channel that probably doesn't have anything to do with the account. So, like my head and I um, right now, or don't really understand the point of this if it's not this person's content. Um, to be hacked unless it's just a troll like i don't know what they're benefiting stealing content from other people to live stream on other channels or something like that so um yeah uh, slowly get i don't have everything is a 100 percent fixed so i'm kind of waiting for things to be 100 percent fixed before we do anything so that's been a lot of emails back and forth between me and mysterious youtube that um really won't to give me any more information than what they're I mean, to be fair, they've been pretty fast and, you know, but, like, I don't have a name of the person I'm talking to. And, like, the issue is, like, when I asked about it, they were just like, here's your issue number in case someone else needs to handle this. And I'm just like, uh, uh, okay, I guess. So, like, I don't, I don't know. But, yeah, this has never happened before. And... um like I've talked about before, um, or what I just talked about, the take it for granted thing, like, I was, I kind of, I mean, I was a little surprised by how many people were reaching out and being like, your channel got hacked, your channel got hacked, your channel got hacked, and I'm just like, oh, thanks for caring, so, um, I guess, you know, because I think, you know, it's, it's part of the mindset of, like, when, you know, like, just like any show you watch, if you've been watching, you know, any show that's been on for as long as I've been making content, I think you kind of take it for granted at the at, at a point. Um, you're just like, oh, that person's making content. Oh, that South Park's still going. Oh, The Simpsons is still going. So you don't really, um, people don't really think about it until that thing that they, they take for granted might potentially be lost to them to all time. And I also don't really account for the people that are re-watching the Pony videos, like, on playlists just to kind of, as, like, you know, while they're drawing or working or something like that. I don't really, I don't really think about people re-watching the Pony videos for reasons like that. So, you know, um, 
I, I said like in my in my deadpan tweet, it's like, oh, it's like the one time people hated me, except no one's telling me to kill myself. Yeah. So um, oh, I'm hoping, you know, um, I'm hoping this this will all have a positive effect at the end of the day, and you know, like we'll probably make a video about this, and people are like, oh my god, I'm so glad your channel's back, and like, yeah, you should watch it more often instead of just this one time. We work hard. So, and then, um, you know, between that, uh, we've got a lot of, um, we've had a lot of bad luck with, with team recruiting lately, where people are just like, I mean, in general, not only is it hard to find people who are wanting to work for free for various reasons, obviously, but, um, you know, when we, we do scouting now, and when we do scouting, I think people think, some people think it's like a, like a, oh, um, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, apply and get an interview and just see what happens. Not really accounting for, like, if this is, like, they can fit into their schedule. They're motivated. They feel like dealing with it, you know, um, that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. So we got a lot of people that are like, I'm here. And then I'm just like, oh, wait, I don't have time for this. I'm just like, then why did, why did you apply? Just, just don't apply, um, or just, just say no, like, you know, um, so, you know, that's also, like, if you still want KP content, remember, we need editors, so, you know, if you can't, if you're not an editor, and you don't know how to do that stuff, at least, like, spread the word when we're looking, or else there won't be more content, like, that's what it comes down to at the end of the day, again, I think people just take it for granted, and they don't think about, you know, this stuff is work. So um, there's my there's my old man rant, but uh, that's basically what's hap been happening so far. But I do appreciate everyone who's been supportive and commenting and telling me and, and yelling at YouTube. And, you know, it is, it is nice to feel appreciated, um, you know, for the first time in a while. I mean, it, it, it usually happens at conventions, uh, but I haven't, you know, haven't been booked for a convention uh, lately because we haven't been spending time on marketing because we've been dealing with this. So it's, it's a mess. It's all, it's, this is fine mess. So yeah, there you go, Lyo and people listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you got your channel back and I'm glad you had some backing for it. Cause I know, um, when we found out in Senate, people started tagging you, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure she probably knows by now, guys. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. Like that was my 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 the thing that kind of took me off guard is you know because like I don't really talk in there that often because like people scare me, especially people like you know it's 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 just my trauma brain comparing like you know aggressive people to people that are potentially mean for mean things. So um, I was I would like. You know, I, I think a lot of the reason people like me, too, is because we're friends. So, <laughs> like, let's be real. Um, so. Well, I, I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think in some cases, um, because you're so used to, again, aggressive people being bad, that you're not expecting the type of kindness they can give you. And people can say what they want about the place, but when there's somebody who needs help, if we're able to get, if we're able to grant that help and it's not somebody who's an immoral scumbag, we'll do what we can. That's kind of what we've done like for the three years almost that we've been in operation if we can help it there are of course hiccups here and there but that's just what we do yeah but i mean let's go ahead now and i was know. like yeah you're that's fair maybe i'm I'm probably not giving it enough credit but yeah um 
I don't know. Yeah. Again, trauma brain. Everyone hates me. Everyone, you know, I, I want to hide because I work really hard on this on this channel and, and, and no one cares. Kind of like I know that's like, again, exaggerating, exaggerating it and um, being very pessimistic about it. Um, there's another word I was looking for, um, but I can't think of it right now. Like a like a psychological like. Um, but anyway, um cynical about it there you go that's the word i was looking for cynical um mm -hmm. but yeah like sometimes you know my mental health crap so sometimes it'd be like that um and i have to kind of work myself out of my brain space which is that's what therapy's for a yeah essentially okay so you want to go ahead and get into the news yeah we'll talk about the news for the news thing so um uh the first like, so, yeah, we haven't done a podcast. Uh, I mean, we, like, the, the art episode of this recording aired, aired, um, put on, was put on the places, like, um, like, a week or two ago. But, like, as we haven't actually recorded an episode in a while because the aforementioned shit that has hit the fan. So, um, it's been a little while since, uh, because of that or yeah since it's been a little while um there's some good stories because we don't have to just pick something that none of us know anything about because we need a story um so, so the first story i wanted to talk about um uh, is the pinocchio winning um the the best like so the oscar for those who don't know this is like the oscars are crap like it's all um adam ruins everything that show guy um does a bit about this it's on youtube if you're curious but the oscars are crap because they're just motivated by companies trying to win academy awards to increase the revenue of the movie that they're marketing um so there's like mm -hmm. there's there's points here and there where there's merit in the art like in in highlighting the artistry of specific movies but that's also um, you know, that's also a big part, like straight up bribery is also a big part in the Oscars. So that's why I don't really take the Oscars seriously. Um, it, it would be nice if it was taken more seriously because from a, you know, from an animator's perspective, like, um, you know, um, like, you know, I consider myself an animator. I've animated before. I know how to animate. Um, <laughs> Um, it would be good, like, you know, representation for animation in general. And, like, Eddie did a really good video that I haven't watched yet. Um, like, but it's about, you know, how people just, like, even people within the Academy, which is the the, the thing that chooses the, the stuff, um, doesn't really um, take animation seriously, which doesn't make any sense to me. Because if you work so hard to be in this industry and this industry has something that's a different medium like the i i would think you'd be open to said medium if you've worked so hard to be in said industry but what do i know i'm just a youtuber so do you have any thoughts on that lyo before i continue my this is the old man rant uh, episode right now that i'm doing <laughs> and then it'll turn to your old man well, rant so it'll be great I think that people who are in animation, whether it be as fans of animation or people in the industry, they concern themselves too much with the Academy Awards. Because to be completely blunt, the Academy Awards, the Oscars, all those things, uh, the people who run them aren't exactly the most morally like, decent people. 
with the people they've known about, the people they they haven't reported, the people they cover for. Personally, my value is I'm, I'm not going to sit here and worry about whether or not I get validation from some man-made nonsense that has not served its actual purpose in probably decades, if ever, being you know championed by a bunch of nitwits that are more interested in the the concept of what they consider to be art without actually doing any introspective deep dive into it. They can sit there and they can, you know, give the James Bond movie 567 an Academy Award and not something brilliantly directed, voice acted, animated, and story. Uh, if they want to, that's on them. I don't see the point in chasing after uh, something just for the sake of being listed on it because I, I don't find any value in the opinions and thoughts of these worthless individuals. But that's also my value, and I'm an old curmudgeon, so... Yeah.
Nah, not specifically on you know, Guillermo or on Pinocchio as a whole. I, again, haven't seen it, so I don't think it would be reasonable to give my thoughts on something I haven't seen. I haven't even seen the trailer for it, so... Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Okay, so we have DreamWorks Teenage Kraken coming out, which seems to be, uh, again, as, as is often with a lot of modern interpretations, a bit of a subversion where they are switching in terms of what's considered uh, the hero or the villain in the classic stories to where the mermaids... I mean, you go further back, mermaids aren't aren't heroes in any way, shape, or form. It's more of a modern Disney invention. But where krakens are like the protectors of XYZ thing and mermaids are the, the troublesome, destructive forces of evil. And it's about a, a young teenage kraken that can blend in with humans and it's a coming of age story where she's trying to figure out what her abilities are so she can stop some mermaids. Yep.
yeah, let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and talk about the titles. All right, so it's been announced previously that Seth Rogen is working on a new Ninja Turtle film, and the trailer for it dropped a few weeks ago. It seems to have the turtle. It's called Mutant Mayhem, and it seems to have the turtles much younger than we're usually seeing them. I'm guessing they're like late into their 12th year or 13 years old, very much so acting like the typical teenagers. Uh, the voice cast is very interesting. Uh, we have Jackie Chan playing Splinter. We have Bebop, yeah, we have Bebop and Rocksteady voiced by Seth Rogen and John Cena, respectively. Yeah. And, of course, the Internet's upset because April this time is not only black like she was in Rise, but apparently she is... Not attractive, which is going to upset people for some reason. Yeah, my value is I just don't find the design like visually appealing. Like I can even say with the turtles that they're they're unique to look at. I, I can tell their personality by looking at them, not so much with April, and it's just a weird decision made. But it's Seth Rogen, so of course the decision's gonna be weird. I'm going to see if the film's gonna surprise me. Because with Turtles, um, there's only two things that Ninja Turtles have done that I've never looked in on. One was The Next Mutation, the live-action show that premiered in 1997. And one was the Coming Out of Their Shells tour, because why would I be interested in that? I've seen, um, in one manner or another, all of the Ninja Turtle cartoons, all four of them that have come out. Which means I've seen the original 87 cartoon, the 2003 one, the 2012 one, and Rise. Enjoyed all of them, to various degrees, because they're all different creatures in and of themselves. Ninja Turtles is something that's probably never going to go away one way or another. It's always going to be able to be reinvented because of the nature of the show, uh, the type of characters they have, the dynamics therein, and all the adventures it can you can do. You can do just about anything with a Ninja Turtle story. You can do time travel. You can do space adventures. You can do uh, classic noir tales. You can do martial arts adventures, teenage comedy stories. You can do literally anything with Ninja Turtles. I don't think that was intentional when it was created, but it certainly has served it well this past 40 years. So we'll see if it's any good when it comes out. see what happens i don't know i don't think seth like you know seth rogan's fine i guess like sasha's party was pretty you know as you know as bad as probably i was expecting it to be you know it, it just seemed a lot of like gross out sexual references like i didn't really consider sausage party particularly clever and i wish they no. they um use their resources to make like something like Pinocchio where they can still be raunchy if they want to, but that shouldn't be the main thesis of the movie. Um, well, I think, I think that might be beyond Seth Rogen's intellectual. ability. <laughs> no shade, but <laughs> no, I mean all shade. I mean like forest in the middle of high noon shade. Screw that guy. Dude sits there and like, bullies a literal teenager on Twitter. What is wrong with that guy? I don't know. So, you know, like like I said, the only thing he's got going for him is, I guess, the Jew. So, you know, power power to that. Um, you know, you get, um, 
You can say that because you're Jewish. Yeah, I, I can, couldn't get away I with can, that. I mean, I, I say, like, instead of Jewish, I say Jew. But I, I, I also, like, feel like it's kind of N-word, N-word privileges where I can kind of simplify that. But, you know, I've... I've 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 been bought mitzvahed. I've been confirmed. I I did my fucking time to be able to to make those kind of jokes. So thank you. I you know um like I, I'm thinking about doing a comedy bit where it's just like man I had to spend I don't know four or five years learning this language that I don't understand. It's the most useless skill ever. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> Oh, I I understand how it's 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 good you know um, what's the word uh, culturally but man there's yeah. anyway um, well we're about the halfway mark so we should probably delve into the main topic of yeah today. I guess so um, this is sit back everyone the old man tale so we're um, talking about uh, 80s cartoons which I imagine most of you including um me were not born during the 80s so um i was just kind of curious as far as like how the cartoon language worked back in the day because i think everyone's just used to streaming and used to being able to binge things and you know a lot of older shows are coming up and becoming more popular um now because of it so it's just an interesting like i wonder like i want like especially pony like a lot of I mean, all of Pony's success was because it was be able being it was able to be pirated and distributed like back in the early days, and that's how people discovered it. So, um, Wyo, tell me adventures while I eat my while I eat my burrito. Okay, long ago in a distant year, it was 1981, and I'm dropping it for the rest of that to save my voice. But 1981. Um hate to go a little bit into politics here it's not it's not a political argument but just a, a basic fact of what happened then back in 1981 the reagan administration uh, deregulated children's cartoons and what i mean by that is up until 1981 i can't remember when it started but up until 1981 children's cartoons could not be used in any way shape or form to sell a product to a kid regardless of the reason and if you look at some of the early stuff in the 80s, like um, Super Friends, for example, by Hanna-Barbera, Super Friends had an adjacent toy line called Super Powers. And they were a little sneaky with it because there was no crossover between the show and the toy line itself. But a lot of the characters from the show were in the toy line. And you saw other companies like Marvel do something with Secret Wars where they had a toy line it made as well. But that was a comic book so they could get away with it more. But what happened was those sanctions were lifted in 1981 by the Reagan administration. And believe it or not, it wasn't immediately out of the gate where people were just slinging out animation to try to sell things to kids. Uh, that's a common misconception that comes from a lot of people who are cynical or they get their opinions from John Kay's blog, unfortunately. Uh, is he still, is biggest, he still around? And we'll, we'll get into him shortly okay. in terms of how people tend to view the 80s in terms of animation. Because a lot of people list it as the dark ages of animation. And none of them have actually done a lick of research about what the dark ages of dick all is. The only thing I think but of, the big, not to interrupt, but the only thing I think of is that, uh, uh, that, that 80s short where they have all the cartoons singing about not, not to do drugs and stuff like that. Like the super crossover thing. You can thank Bush Sr. for that one. That was his luck um, child. I mean, I'm... We, 
I'm all for like, you know, mass crossover things. Like that's what 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 I want to do if I break into the industry one day, hopefully. But like, you know, there has to be kind of order to the chaos because if you just throw in a bunch of cartoons and just, you know, it just it just it's too much. It's too much IP. Like you know, like yeah. Similar with House of Mouse, where there was at least a little bit of order. Like, there was at least a little bit of setup. That was a good show. Yeah. But anyways, the first big breakout that, to this day, still has ripple effects in the animation industry was done by Filmation. Filmation was a well-known cartoon-making studio at the time who got the job to animate uh, Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids. And the fun story about that is, like, they had to convince the IP owners that they had a studio, even though it was in their garage. <laughs> so they were able to somehow somehow convince them of all that, and they got the IP and ran with it. So between Hanna-Barbera and Filmation, animation in the Western sphere for television animation, they were like the only big dogs there, to the point where I think Hanna-Barbera had 90-something percent of the market, and Filmation had the other 10%. Filmation had done shows like, you know, The Cosby Kids, he did Black Star, they did a, a few really well animated shows but the big breakout hit of 1983 was he-man and the masters of the universe now i'm not going to sit here and play pretend that he-man's primary interest in terms of what mattel the brand owner wanted was to sell toys but the truth of the matter is when it comes to filmation's head lou scheimer who was behind the entire production he has gone on record and there's still a clip i posted out about it on twitter a while ago that man did not care dick all about what toys they wanted to sell. What he wanted to do was create a good cartoon that gave solid moral lessons to children, and that's why he fought against Mattel just about every step of the way when it came to inclusion of things. Was it a neat vehicle if they wanted to sell it? Yeah, he'd use a neat vehicle because they're creative people in general. But the entire show's purpose, although it did succeed in selling the toys, it did so in a way that a lot of people don't want to give things like that credit for. It made people want the toys because they liked the characters. Mm -hmm. Nobody just organically buys an action figure nine times out of ten, especially not continue to interact with it 40 years later, because I just like the action figure. Yeah. If I the can... reason why Skeletor... Go ahead. Oh, yeah. If I can interject, like, this has a similar feeling of the uh, the Star Wars, like, Force of Destiny or whatever line, um, and if, you know, where they make a, a lot of um, Star Wars character, female Star Wars characters that, um, as action figures from all the different eras. But the problem with that, mm-hmm. you know, with the exception of Ahsoka, for the most part, it's, it's all just like, you know, white white girls with brown hair and brown eyes. You know, Leia's like that, you know, Rey's like that, Padme's like that. So you don't really get a lot of diversity in the actual, mar- like, it's a good idea you, I mean, you know, it's it's a, like I understand the point of the idea of it is, but just like, just wait, maybe just wait a little bit, guys, until Star Wars itself has a more diverse, you know, female cast besides, you know, all the all the white people. But anyway, that's that's kind of what it reminded me of. Yeah. But my my point is like these characters were so uh, loved. Like for example, the reason why Skeletor is such a meme now, a literal like ongoing meme, isn't because uh, some people in the 80s saw an action figure of Skeletor and decided to make memes. No, the memes are based off of Skeletor's personality in the Filmation cartoon. He, matter of fact, uh, He-Man historian James Etoff has gotten a record saying that in, in a documentary done on it, he thinks Skeletor himself is more popular than the He-Man franchise as a whole because of the relatability of those memes. So, Lou Scheimer gets that put out. It is a 
absurdly massive success. Like, people don't really recognize how big of an impact He-Man had on animation as a whole. Because not only did He-Man do this, but then you saw other companies pull into it around the same year. And some of this out of happenstance. Like, for the sake of um, information, G.I. Joe got reinvented in the same year from the foot-tall, like, kung fu grip action figure of the 60s to a three-and-three-quarter toy line. How do they want to sell it? Well, they initially tried it with comic books, which they did animated commercials for, but then they realized, you know what, now that this has been deregulated, let's put these characters in different stories and see what happens. And it it ran for several years. Actually, it even ran into the 90s when it came under Deke. Hold on, I gotta get these. I, I know, I've, I've been hearing your second. cats uh, purring, like, in the background for, like, ten minutes. Yes, Gidget, I'll let you in, but you gotta behave. Little gremlin. Anyways, so... It's like, I lied, we, we didn't have a guest. Sorry, I, 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 let me get my joke in. So, I was like, I lied, we didn't have a guest. It's, it's Lyo's cat, so... Yes, her name is Gidget, and she can be sweet, but she's a destructive little force. But when people start recognizing what animation can do in terms of sales and everything else, um, primarily promoted by the storytelling they allowed, because a, a lot of things people don't recognize, especially in the modern age when they look back at these things. Well, why doesn't He-Man ever hit anything with the sword? Why doesn't He-Man ever directly punch somebody? So let me give you an overview here of why none of that ever happened. Something completely different than you'll see nowadays. Nowadays, if you get a religious group or a bunch of bitty moms complaining about a cartoon, nobody cares. Nobody. That wasn't the way it was in the 80s. In the 80s, you had three different groups gunning for children's animation for the most critical of possible reasons. You had religious groups who condemned He-Man because it had sorcery in it and violence. You had the United States government hawking down on it because... Well, we need to keep an eye on all this because it might pollute the youth, much like they did um, for the comics code beforehand. And then you have the moral busybody biddies, whose husbands, I guess, were never at home, who kept writing to the other two groups about how much this show is damaging them. And if you ever want to see a real whiplash of what American culture is like now, there is an article written um, about He-Man in a newspaper saying that He-Man is a liberal, limp-wristed show that is going to make children uh, evil or complicit in it because he doesn't kill his enemies. <laughs> so, that yeah, I, and these things happen. I hate how everything, like, right? foreign is just labeled liberal sometimes by people who don't know any better. Well... That's, that's to a point, yeah, but these groups actually had power at that time, and that's what a lot of people don't take in. So they had to be very careful what they put in cartoons in terms of the violence, the messages given. And some people will say that the PSAs and whatnot, well, that was just, it was just to buy these people off. It was just put at the end as, a, as something at the end. No. While it did curtail some criticism, the reason why Lou Scheimer started that trend was because he cared about children's television. And you can see that in his previous works. The man was very consistent about that. He didn't want to give children harmful messages. He wanted them to learn something, regardless of what show they were watching, that he was behind. And that moves on into other shows of a decade. There were some god-awful shows that were made in the 1980s, just like there's god-awful shows that happened here. But the, the problem I have when people will make the argument about, well, it was made to sell toys. Let's go ahead and assume that every cartoon in the 80s was made to sell toys. They weren't, but let's assume they are. And? Have you ever seen a kid play with a toy? 
you have any idea how crazy inventive kids can get with action figures? Are you going to now tell me that because it's made to sell a product, therefore it has no creativity? Because if you want a good example of that having long-lasting effects, we move a year forward to 1984. 1984 is when Hasbro, in conjunction with Sunbow Animation and Marvel Studios, created the Transformers. Now, Transformers is something just about everybody in the United States knows about now, due to the Michael Bay movies or whatever. But in 1984, what Hasbro did was they went to a toy fair and they found the Microman and Diaclone toy lines that were in Japan. Neither of these, to my knowledge, had any fiction behind them. But they looked at it and said, this could be a really cool concept. So what they did was they got the toys together, they laid them out, and they had comic uh, industry veterans, Bub Budiansky and Jim Shooter, create character profiles and bios for all these toys. So the idea of no originality while they are, or no creativity, while they are literally making up a story that is cohesive to start putting these things out there to create a comic line and a cartoon. No, these things absolutely had creativity in them. They had to be very careful because of the pre-aforementioned things as well as um, television guidelines, which were a lot more stringent now, or stringent then rather, than they are now. Like, I'm just going to be very blunt there because a lot of people, again, they don't recognize it. So they see some things happening and they think it's campy or goofy, but that's how it had to go. They didn't have a choice. And about 150 shows that were syndicated uh, came out in that decade. Syndication is essentially uh, running an episode every day for a calendar year, essentially, to try to get the get the ball going. Back in the day, they did not have streaming. We didn't even have internet. So what did they do? These corporations that owned, who did the licensing aspect of it would try to sell these shows to different news states, different you know television stations, because that's, that was the big thing at the time. It was television. And He-Man was really hard to shop around for at first because it was brand new. Nobody wanted it. But when they finally got it aired out there, boom, it took over the entire market. And then we cut to the next year, 1985. That's the year Thundercats came out. Thundercats was developed by Ronkin Boss. For those of you listening who don't know what Ronkin Boss is or don't remember it, if you've ever seen the 1977 animated Hobbit or The Last Unicorn or Flight of Dragons, that was that was created by Ronkin Boss. Now, yeah. the way that show came about... Uh, I was just going to say, uh, if, if for those playing at home too, Ronkin Boss is probably most famous for um, its, its Christmas stop motion um, stuff. So, yep. you know, Rudolph and... Year Without a Santa Claus and all that is uh, Rankin Bass um, specifically. Uh, but, you know, uh, like we talked about in the Rudolph video I made like two years ago, um, Rudolph um, himself is actually owned by a third party. Um, I think that was licensed for the Rankin Bass stop motion and then the 1999 or 98 um, thing with John Goodman or whatever. Um, so he's kind of an anomaly to all of that canon if that's what you want to call it but anyway continue that's kind of off topic (laughs) now what happened was leisure concepts who (laughs) fun fact um your audience would know as four kids now leisure concepts was at a pitch meeting and they can't even remember what it was about and there was another person there who had a folder that was given to him of a concept called thundercats it was created by ted wolf who was a united states veteran an inventor and they really liked the concept they, they the concept art they had there. Because it was just the art. There was nothing else there. So what happened was Jules Bass of Ronkin Boss really liked it. Just in, in concept, the name, all that. So he passed it on to Littered Star. 
Leonard Starr was known for, oddly enough, not his science fiction work, but for a series of comics called On Stage, as well as Orphan Annie. That's what he was known for. So he wrote a story bible, which is the treatment for the series. He wrote the first four episodes, and a whole bunch of art was done. But the, all his writing was done within like a day. The man was a complete animal. So they wind up deciding that the way that they're going to do the animation is the way they did in their previous stuff. And they were initially going to go through Topcraft. But the problem with Topcraft, who did all the aforementioned like traditional animation stuff I just mentioned, mm. had actually had a split that year. So they were working on Thundercats and they split. The two halves, one became Pacific Animation Corporation, which continued to work on Thundercats, Silverhawks, Tiger Sharks, the Street Frogs, Karate Cat, and the other half became Studio Ghibli. Was the uh, split be for um, creative differences reasons, or was it like an actual just, was it, were, were they just expanding, you know? I believe the latter, but I'm not 100% sure, because unfortunately a lot of the people who were there are, well, gone, gone. I'd have to look into it, and I never really had, to be completely honest with you, but that's just where my information about all that comes Did from. Did I ask a good question? <laughs> You did ask a very Yay. good question. But what happened with Thundercats was a little different because Thundercats was not made specifically to sell product. It was made because, like Lou Scheimer, except without the same reasoning behind it, because Lou Scheimer was approached by Mattel, they wanted to create an action-adventure cartoon for kids that would be pro-social values. And that's why Thundercats has only one PSA that was ever made that was an anti-drinking one, but all the other morals were put into the show directly as the main plot focus. And it was passed by uh, Robert Coesis, who was a child, psychology, a child psychologist. And they had him on staff to review literally every single script to make sure there was nothing in there that could be harmful to children. And if you take a look at the toy line compared to the cartoon, it's very obvious there was no synchronity between the two of them. So... The 80s continue on, and we get um, the Transformer movie, which caused a bit of an issue because they literally killed characters on screen and traumatized my entire generation. <laughs> you have you have the Disney Afternoon coming out, which this is this is where the 80s, despite people calling it the Dark Ages, where we start transitioning because network executives, toy manufacturers, creative developers are noting animation's not small anymore. It's not just Hanna-Barbera stuff. As good as they were, it's not just Hanna-Barbera stuff. We have um, space robots. We have uh, a buff dude. We got all big potentials for storytelling all over the place. So that's when they decided, all right, what else can we do here? So Disney decided to start a new wave of television animation with a show called Gummy Bears, which has nothing to do with the fruit snack, although it's even named after that. That was the very first cartoon for what they now call the Disney Afternoon. So if you like any of the Disney animation from the late 80s to the late 90s in terms of television animation, if you like Tailspin, Rescue Rangers, Darkwing Duck, Mighty Ducks, uh, Pepper Ann, Recess, any of those, you can think the 80s and you can think Gummy Bears for that. Mm -hmm. Because Gummy Bears, to my knowledge, uh, wasn't... It, it did have a toy line, but it wasn't really something marketed very well. So then you start seeing its ability for storytelling more in terms of like ongoing stories or even some of the more mundane stuff, which gives a rise to, in the early 90s, things like the cartoon cartoons on Cartoon Network, because Cartoon Network came out in 1992, uh, specifically just for cartoons, so it gave rise to that. 
and gave rise to the Nicktoons because people are recognizing that animation isn't beholden to action adventure, it's not beholden to comedy, you can do whatever you want with it. Which is what essentially kicked off what we're still dealing with now, which leading into all the way to streaming stuff. To where now we have much more varied stories, you have a much more varied cast, and people like to, to dunk on the 80s for some of its shortcomings or some things that couldn't be done. But they don't really recognize why that was. So since I'm most knowledgeable about Ronkin' Boss and Thundercats, I'll go ahead and put it out in a way that some people will understand. In 1984, they started working on Thundercats. It premiered in 1985. In 1986 was the second season for Thundercats, but Ronkin' Boss, wanting to reignite that same fire that they got for the interest in Thundercats, decided, well, we need to expand more. Because what corporation doesn't expand more when they have a success? Mm -hmm. So in the same year they are doing the second season of Thundercats, they're doing the first season of Silverhawks and the first season of Tiger Shark, uh, the Street Frogs, and Karate Cat. Now, for a massive industry like Disney, not a problem. They can get staff all over the place, all at the wazoo. Ronkin' Boss was a small company. Mm -hmm. It was smaller than Funimation is now. So... All the same voice actors, all the same writers essentially worked on all these shows and they were burning themselves out pretty heavily. Which is what led to them not making any more after that because it just petered off. Thundercats was massive to them, Silverhawks was, eh. And then Tiger Sharks, to put it this way, nobody has Tiger Sharks. <laughs> like, in, term, in terms of like property rights, Warner Brothers has it because they bought the entire Rocket Boss library in the 90s. But like... You're never going to find a torrent for the entirety of Tiger Sharks. It was not preserved. Not not on our end, at least. Like, you were talking earlier about My Little Pony being passed around, like the newer version of it. Gen 5, I think it's called. Like, Tiger Sharks doesn't even have that. Oh, wait, I was, Apparently, I was talking, audio tracks. Sorry to interrupt. I was talking about uh, when G4 first started in, like, 2000. G4, that's it. Yeah, Gen uh, 4. Yeah. Okay. So, but anyway, continue. Yeah. Tiger Sharks didn't even have that. Like, very few people remembered it. It was never archived to the public. Does Warner Brothers have it? Maybe, but they don't know what they have either. And I can prove that. The way I can prove that is on my channel, they have what they call the, the Lost Thundercats intro, which it's not. There actually is a Lost Thundercats intro. But the one that's on my channel, because you were talking about how did they shop it around. So I'll go on a tangent here real quick. But uh, that intro is uploaded on my channel. Two versions of it. One lower quality, one that's completely restored in high def. Warner Brothers doesn't know they own it. That has been sitting on my channel gaining money for years, and Warner Brothers has not done a copyright claim, not a copyright counter, nothing, because they don't know they own it. So you were asking, how do these people shop their things around? Well, Leonard Starr specifically, when he made the first four episodes of Thundercats, he wrote it as a movie. Literally. He moves from one plot to the next. And that can only be found now in the form of VHS, or my BitChute account, because I'm petty like that, <laughs> that has scenes that did not make it into the televised cut of these of the four episodes that they've done. It has additional scenes, all that stuff. And what he would do is he would use that to shop it around to different networks to see who would be interested mm -hmm. in it. So another thing you can thank 80s animation for is the boom of anime. Well, how do I say that? That's a really stupid thing to say, right? You'd think so. Because back in the day, ye old days, the, the anime nerds, uh, the fellow weebs, would essentially trade VHSs at conventions and whatnot. But Whoa. what happened was Cartoon Network decided in 1996 that they wanted an action block, like an actual action block. And they combed through their archives. And Well, what can we do? Right? We're currently working on the real adventures of Johnny Quest, but what can we do 
to get something out here that will pair with that when it's out. Like, all right, so we have we have Thundercats, which was a pretty well-known action cartoon in the 80s. So what did they do? They create Toonami, and the first show on Toonami is Thundercats. So what they've learned is perhaps not making our own stuff, but licensing out other people's stuff and dubbing it and whatnot. So then they start bringing in anime. Um, there's an argument about what I thought Thundercats is. I don't think it is personally because it's not created for the Japanese audience. There's no, there's not even a Japanese dub of it, despite being completely animated in Japan, but it starts bringing in Dragon Ball, Sailor Moon, Ranma one half, uh, Tenshi Muyo, Gundam, Cowboy Bebop, all that stuff. Why? Because back in the eighties, they proved action cartoons can, can survive in the American market it was moved to Cartoon Network, opened up on that spot, boom, never stopped. And now anime is pretty well culturally known here in the United States. Mm-hmm. So the 80s, they can, people like John Kay, and this is where I'm getting to him. Oh, and, he and cried I have a question bitter, angry whenever, baby man tears. Whenever you're ready. No, go ahead. Um, we, I can talk so about I was John curious Kay if you can go into and maybe like talk about like, because um, I know Ted Turner bought um, uh, Hannah Bear sometime, I think, in the 80s. So like how specifically did that influence like... Um, you know, how they were producing content, and then specifically, like, I know Captain Planet is, like, Ted Turner's baby and stuff like that, so, you know, like, can you talk about that a little bit? Okay, so the way it influenced um, animation going forward, even with Hanna-Barbera... Oh, uh, let me, let me just give some, um, some, some backtrack for people who don't know what I'm talking about. So, sure. Ted Turner is, um, as you've seen, and um, you can look up Family Guy depictions. He was, um, he was character... Uh, uh, characterized in early um, early versions of that, but he owns um, CNN. He's a um, I don't remember how he became rich and famous, but um, he he owns CNN, so he's a big he's a big corporate guy, and he actually is. Um, I I want to say the Godfather of syndication because he was the first one to kind of prove that you could do that, that you could take episodes mm-hmm. of things that have already aired and re-air them and can have a schedule and develop a new audience for that. So um, basically Hanna-Barbera kind of folded into Cartoon Network because that's, you know, Ted Turner Cartoon Network um, or is part of the Warner Brothers on umbrella, whatever. Um, uh, and that's where you get like 90s Hanna-Barbera, like uh, Dexter's Lab and the Johnny Bravo. And there's another one, I think Samurai Jack, that kind of stuff. So yeah. Uh, Anyway, yeah, and he big big southern guy who owns CNN and really likes Captain Planet and really likes Gone with the Wind. So, um, anyway, continue. <laughs> well, in terms of like action cartoons, Hanna Barbera had some beforehand. Of course, Space Ghost is the most well known next to Johnny Quest, which was the first action cartoon in America. Like, period. A lot of people don't give that thing a lot of a lot of leeway. They don't give it a lot of respect, but they really should. Because it is a very well done cartoon, mm-hmm. and we could do the qualifier for its time, but just in general, it's a really well done. Do you cartoon. want to know a fun fact? We had the hurt. Uh, fun fact is that Kim Possible's um, black cargo top is actually um, inspired by D- Johnny Quest. Does not surprise mm-hmm. me at all. A lot of stuff has been inspired by him over the years, but you also had the Herculoids. You had all that stuff, but it wasn't it wasn't as big of a breakout hit as other things that happened in, say, the 80s. So the way it influenced other corporations is not only to invest in animation as a medium in general, but also to play around with what things animation's doing. So, like the animated sitcoms of the day, you had the Flintstones, you had 
uh, wait till your father gets home. You had a bunch of that stuff. But of course, what did the 80s bring about? The Simpsons. And as much as I don't like The Simpsons, I'm not going to sit here and downplay its effects on the industry or on Americana or what have you. But when it comes to syndication, when it comes to how it pushed the industry further, it even impacted Hanna-Barbera. Because what did Hanna-Barbera make in 1993? Well, they made SWAT Cats, which was completely different than literally anything they'd ever done before. Both in, in, you know, in art design and tone and style. And you brought up Captain Planet. Fun thing about Captain Planet. Captain Is it Ted Turner's baby? 100%. But what's interesting is why it was made. Ted Turner was always uh, big on, you know, the environment. But he cites Captain Planet as one of his favorite shows because of how positive it is. But the reason shows like SWAT Cats got canceled is because he shot himself in the foot in a speech that he gave about how Hanna-Barbera cartoons, they're wholesome, family-friendly cartoons. We don't have anything that, like, depicts heavy violence or destruction or anything like that. And meanwhile, SWAT cats are taking out villains and blowing up buildings and killing characters. And So he had to pull the plug. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it was expensive. I think that was I think that was actually the main reason, because it was expensive to produce. Yeah, it's, it's another example of people uh, who, people who talk about animation who don't really know about animation, but, like, I, I also want to give credit for Ted Turner because he kind of, like, um, was more lax than I think some people could be um, in mm-hmm. that time period, but at the same token, I think, like, um, Captain Planet is a really good example about, like, making really one-dimensional characters and one-dimensional villains <laughs> and, like, you know, everyone's bad who pollutes and everyone who's good recycles, and it's just, it's, it's, it's that black and white, and I'm like, no, it's, it's not, so... Well, never one ever commented on Captain Planet for its nuances. But, you know, they did the best they could at the time. But when I was talking earlier, I was talking about um, John Chris Falusi. John Chris Falusi was an animator on Filmation, and he hated it. He hated it because he didn't like the way they were doing cartoons. It wasn't the Bob Clampett style. And the funny thing is I have people tell me, you know, the 80s was terrible for animation. The 80s was terrible for the industry. Maybe in a sense of the workload, yeah, definitely some problems there. Not going to deny that. Um, still a problem today, actually. But when you look at the people who are happy with the work they did versus the people who complain about it, there's a definite bias in terms of, like, number-wise. The people who are happy with their stuff severely outnumber the people who weren't. So, Because I've talked to some of these people. John Chris Lucy's problem is that he's a moron <laughs> who thinks everything should be his way or no way. And he is the only man I have ever, ever, ever heard Lou Scheimer say anything negative about publicly. To this day. Of course, he's gone now. But he said, well, if he didn't want to work there so badly, why'd the moron stay? So, going on off of that, they, a lot of people who are into animation now that are, like, older tend to piggyback off of what a lot of things John put out on his blog about the 80s which is stupid to begin with if you look at it outside of the vacuum that he's created. Because when you talk to people who were in the industry, and I have, I've talked to people like uh, Flint Dilly, who worked on Transformers, Jim and the Holograms, basically anything under Hasbro's market. I've, I've talked to a few people who have worked on other 80s cartoons. I've talked to Larry Houston before. Uh, I've talked to Kirk Bose again, who worked on the G.I. Joe toy line. They all loved the work they were doing then. Both There was, of course, problems within... Uh, as any workplace will have. Uh, looking at Hear the Roar, a book about Thundercats, the production therein, a really great book, uh, one of the writers, Peter Lawrence, said that one of his 
biggest issues wasn't even to the production itself. It was to the sheer amount of letters he would get that were angry, calling him a Satanist because of how he wrote Mumra, who's a villain. So a lot of the problems that people aren't noticing that happened in there, they're not noticing because they don't know about the landscape at the time because they just assume that perhaps what's going on now in the 2020s is how it was in the 80s, and it wasn't. A show like Owl House would never have survived in the 80s. Is that because the animation's bad or the storytelling is bad? No. It's because of the subject material. That would not have passed muster. They had a hard time with Dungeons & Dragons as a cartoon. He-Man constantly got put under fire because it had a sorcerer as the main villain. Like, people really genuinely do not know how big television was at that time and the type of power these groups had and the type of nonsense they could pull off. Like, they just genuinely don't. So maybe a little more research and less talking heads might help them. Because if you have anybody talking trash about 80s animation that's like under 40, they probably don't know what they're talking about in general because they didn't even live through it. <laughs> they, didn't live, they didn't live through watching um, the Senate f- raise a fuss about Night Trap, the video game. Like they, It's completely foreign to them. Like Now you can have gay characters, you can have non-binary characters, you can have a, like death that you that you can't skirt away from one way or another or that you have to worry has to get past the censors. You couldn't have any of that. You could sneak it in. Like in the first episode of Thundercats, you are explicitly told, hey, the ships that are being destroyed is filled with a bunch of refugees who aren't even combatants. So they're literally murdering people on screen. But that's just in voice. You don't see it. Now you can do it. You couldn't have... Like uh, that scene in uh, Amphibia where the, the girl gets literally ran through with a sword. That you could never have gotten away with. Now you can because the restrictions are a little more lifted. you got streaming going on now, which is, is a completely set of, different set of standards. The 80s were only a dark age in so much as there was only so much they could get away with. And that's not the fault of the people working on the project. That's the fault of everybody else at the time who were dogging on the board. People really need to recognize and understand that instead of just saying, well... Um, made to sell toys, therefore bad. Mm-hmm. Here's the truth of the matter. There's not a single thing put to you alive that is not trying to sell you something. The guy telling you about his negative experience with a cashier at Walmart is trying to sell you the idea that that person was in the wrong and they were in the right. Mm-hmm. Everybody's, we are currently trying to sell you on the idea that we're right here or that you should listen to us. Everyone's trying to sell you something. So if the idea is, if you're trying to sell something with your creative idea, um, that's bad, you are woefully stupid. I'm sorry, but you are. Old man rant over. That was the 80s. It was unique. We had parachute pants, and, well, I still worry about MC Hammer. Can't touch this, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Can't touch what he doesn't have now. He's poor. Oh, he's poor? How'd he get poor? I have no idea. Spent all his all his all his money on pants. Possibly, I know that apparently, like the the guy who played Screech, <laughs> and I didn't even know this unfortunately until after he passed, used to be like infamous in He Man action figure trading groups because he was a dick because he was a collector of them and he was a dick to everybody. <laughs> That's. <laughs> I also wanted to um, ask about too, um, like what was the like the convention scene like in the 80s. I don't know if you were going specifically going to conventions, but I was curious. Oh, honey, I was born in 85. There's no way I went to conventions. Okay, then uh, (laughs) early 90s, like what were the, like the old conventions like? Do you know? Okay, I didn't start going to conventions until the 2000s. Sorry, Um, my house was a military house, so there was going to be none of that. But uh, 
I can tell from people I've talked to, the convention scenes were a lot smaller. Um, there wasn't much in the way of networking and communication until the ATT message groups of the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, there was a lot more, a lot less spectacle and a lot more heart. Like, you would get uh, Bill Finger, the creator of Batman. You would get people going there to see him. They wouldn't go there to see a cosplayer. They wouldn't go there to see a musical guest. It was, this is the guy who made Batman, and I really want to meet mm-hmm. him. Whereas at conventions nowadays, they try to do it as a showman thing, a spectacle. Who? Um, this is one of my biggest criticisms of anime conventions, especially considering we keep losing people. We just lost Lazy Matsumoto a few weeks ago. Like They're not investing in getting the people who are older, who have worked on things that have been influential to conventions for people to meet them. They're spending their money on, well... We need this rock band uh, for the, for the, whatever those things are called in the middle of the night. I'm too old, so I don't pay attention to them. Or we need this cosplayer, or we need Funimation voice actor 576. Yeah, right. I mean, like it's it's a lot of it's spectacle. It's a lot of it like, well, we this person like we people care about this person, so we'll book them. And like one of the problems I have when I do convention marketing is I have to kind of like backtrack and like explain like, um. Sorry, dog in the background. But I have to backtrack and explain that, um, no, like, we're kind of everything. And, like, if, you know, if do people want to learn, like, if people want to learn about, like, industry or, like, art or whatever like that and not just, like, consume people that are voice actors that are only in the booth for two hours and then that's it, um, you know, but it's 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 definitely more it's it's a much bigger corporate business um, I think than it yeah. has been. So, and, and unfortunately, fans aren't really that aren't often that knowledgeable about how animation really works. Um, so they gravitate towards who does the voice of the character I mm-hmm. like. Like there have been many times where like I've, I've heard Larry Kenny talking, who did the voice of Lionel. He'll be asked a specific detail about an episode. He's not going to be able to answer that. I wouldn't know anything because about Because the writer that. is the person who put that in there. Yeah. He's like, I'm sorry. I, I, I voiced the character. I can't give you a deep lore reason. But they never bring writers to these things. You have to find them on Facebook. Yeah. Because yeah, that's where yeah. all of us old I mean, And that's are. kind of the anomaly of, like, the Pony Convention in general is, like, they would bring more creative, you know, production crew to the events instead of just, like, the voice actors, um, like, over and over again. Because, like... Um, the, what what mostly happened with pony stuff and like um, or the pony convention scene, especially like in its high day, like 2015-16, is that p- the convention scene would know like who was most applicable for booking and who wasn't at that point, and it would just like mm-hmm. you know people wouldn't want to save money because like um, how basically convention bookings work is um, you know you have like if you're if you're getting um, voice actor x you have to pay for their their travel fees and then usually have to pay them appearance fee on top of that as well as they usually keep their autograph money um you know on top of that so they're making uh like which is significantly different from like if i go to a convention um as a guest or even like you know just general schmoes um so you know like so that's why andrea Lipman, who plays fluttershy you know, is like the record holder of doing the most conventions is because she made herself most available. But like, you know, you get a saturation of the same people over and over and over again that you have to kind of switch it up. But like for a a fandom that is focused on one show particularly, um, one show particularly, that can be hard. So, you know, you kind of run out of of people to to ask. (laughs) Yeah. 
And some of them, like, you're never going to get because they're they're literally too old to travel or whatnot. Or sometimes they've been burnt because they've been lied to by other conventions. Mm -hmm. For example, there was a convention I went to in the Bryan College Station area back in 2016 that had Alan Oppenheimer and Melendi Britt. Now, the youngins listening to this don't know those names, but Alan Oppenheimer was the voice actor for Skeletor. He also did Falcor and Neverending Story. And Melendi Britt was the original voice actress for She-Ra, but the younger people may recognize her as the voice actress of Graham Graham in Avatar The Last Airbender, Katara's grandma. So they went to the convention, they signed autographs, they were really, really pleasant people. Finds out the the guy never paid them. <laughs> and, and, and duck and ran, nobody's heard from him since. Thankfully, I was able to see him again later on at another convention, but, like, really great people. And they're not often asked. In fact, uh, the one guy that keeps being asked is the original voice actor for He-Man, but he, he refuses to show to any convention. And his reasoning is, like, the, you know, kind of sad, but also, like, the most wholesome reason is he's told Alan, um, I'm I'm scared I'm going to disappoint people because I don't look like he <laughs> And I was like, well, I don't look like Skeletor, but come on, man. But he's he's really shy. That's why he never shows. It, you know, it gotta gotta get ready for leg day. It's leg day somewhere. Well, he's he's in his eighties now. Like he's a lot of people don't recognize like because of the uh, inherent nature of timelessness that these old animations are. Some people don't realize how old some of these people are. So again, like Alan Oppenheimer was in his thirties when he worked as Skeletor. But that was 40 years ago. Mm. He's in his 80s now. That's why it's important to... That's why I keep telling people, you know, if there's somebody you admire, whose work you admire, meet them now. Because every person who ever inspired me, gone. And because I don't tend to... I never tended to think about meeting these people because of the lifestyle I've lived. That all passed me by. Leonard Starr, the creator of Thundercats. I'm never going to meet him. He's gone. Same with uh, Ronkin, Ronkin Boss members of... Uh, Arthur Rankin and Jules Boss, they're also gone. Not going to meet them either. Ted Wolf died in 2001. I'm not going to meet any of these people. I've never even been able to meet the voice actor for Panthera because he died in 2017. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to meet any of these people. So while you are young, if you're a big fan of the Owl House or Amphibia or Steven Universe or any of this modern stuff, meet them now while you can. Especially if they inspire you creatively. It's very important. Don't wait till you're in your late 30s like me before you realize, you know, I probably should have met these people at some point. Way to go, stupid. You'd one job. <laughs> well, I guess there's... Uh, that's my yeah, that's my old man rant for this episode. <laughs> I guess it's, you know, like, you know, one of the things of being an old man is, like, everyone's just kind of dying around you. So, like, you know, luckily, you know, the a lot of people might feel... Um, not spiel, but like in my circle are um, relatively not like not too old. Like I would have like the the one person I think I would have like wanted to meet that like died even before, you know, I started doing stuff is, is Tony J. And I think he would have been a great convention person guy because oh, he just kind of seems like he, he has a good like, you know, I'll just do whatever kind of vibe to him, which, you know, but... <laughs> It seemed like it. Uh, him and, um, God, Lorenzo Music, mm -hmm. the voice actor for Garfield. Like, they seem to be really great people just in general. But I've got one more story from the 80s for you. Okay. And there's quite a bit of girl power, so hopefully you'll enjoy it. 
So, in 1986, the Transformers movie came out, and it showed the first ongoing cast member of the Autobot team who's female. There were some in the first first or second season that were on Cybertron, but they were only seen like one or two episodes and gone. RC was introduced. She was voiced by Susan Blue. So she was in the movie, season three, and the four ep- or three or four episodes that consist of season four. Susan Blue wanted to move up from voice acting into a producer role. But, of course, it was the 80s. It was a not just men-ran field, it was a men-dominated field, mm-hmm. you know? So they're like, all right, well, I guess we'll give you this weird show that's being worked on right now. It's probably not going to go anywhere, but you can have it. You know, throw her a bone. You know what the name of that show was? Shira. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> because the first season of Ninja Turtles is four episodes. They thought that's all they were going to do. Because that's all Playmates paid for. And, like, the 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 guy who runs that production studio is like, No, we're not just going to do four. I will fund this sucker. And did eight seasons worth. That show ran from 1987 to 1996. Whoa. <laughs> so Susan Blue's like, yeah, I uh, I did Ninja Turtles. <laughs> She's really sweet. I've met her before. She's really sweet. Oh Lord, that's the, that's a that's a fun that's a fun like betting on on you know the odds kind of story. So, um, yep. Do you have any other uh, notes you want to end on? I guess for wrapping, I hope I hope everyone learned about. The, the political cartoon atmosphere of the 80s. But, you know, like I wanted to say right. too, like, you know, um, I think that's just kind of a, like as far as the the products and stuff like that, I think that's just kind of a general, um, you know, want if you, like, again, with all this pony stuff, like if you enjoy these characters, if you, it, you know, you know, if you, like, were really into them, then wanting to have, like, a plushie of someone... Or have or a doll of someone like I I have like a very small collection of like fancy like Esmeralda dolls and stuff like that and like I'm never gonna play with them but like you know they're just fun to look at and they're they're nice and they like make me feel like woo Esmeralda so um, yeah then I'll tell you right now if you've got something you like get it now because right now I'm trying to gear up to do a few reviews of the new Silverhawks figures that Super 7's making, so I'm investing in the vintage stuff for a comparison. And I hate myself! I hate myself because one random character, well he's not a random, he's a main villain character named Windhammer, and I still do not know why he is, but he's a 5-inch action figure, and right now I cannot find him for less than $450. And I hate it. I don't know why this character specifically, but I hate it. I hate it so doggone much. Yes, Gidget, come here. Come on, you little monster. Oh, the irony of Toby being quieter than your cat. <laughs> well, Toby can't, I'd imagine, hop into your lap and voice her displeasure. Um, he, he's, he's pretty lap-sized, but, you know, he, he, it's, it's kind of hard if my legs are, are crossed, too. So he's just vibing. Ah, well, I'm sure the viewers will just go, ooh, kitty, and that's all they're going to care about. <laughs> yeah, okay. So I, um, I, I guess we, that was a good, good story time. So um, I guess we can wrap. So, um I get well, Lyo. I guess you gotta advertise the show more often. You know, I come up clearly. I, you you come on, and you know, I we gotta replace all the art assets, and you know, I'm doing my part. Well, <laughs> need to do mine. You're absolutely correct. I apologize. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, well, I'm I'm joshing with you, but um, 
yeah, if you like the podcast, make sure, I mean, I think, like, the YouTube channel gets some traffic sometimes. I don't know. So uh, just keep on listening. Recommend it to a friend, I think, is the, the, the big thing. Like, in my... Um, in my hack video, which will eventually get me, I'll be like, hey, like, you know, we would like growth. Like, I appreciate everyone who's who's tuning by, um, you know, but like growth would be growth would be nice, too. So like we're on all the platforms. Uh, we'll again, we'll we're still trying to kind of get back to a schedule. So that probably means I have to record some episodes with someone else while Lyo is away in work mode, essentially. But, you know, or, you know, one of my favorite things is uh, we were going to interview, um, like, an indie game um, development uh, studio thing, uh, which will happen, you know, like, soon-ish. But, like, basically he's like, sorry, I have to cancel because there's the French are striking because the government wants to push the age, the retirement age, back two years and the French, the French strike if something goes wrong. And then I said, "Viva la, la revolution!" And he's like, "Yeah." So you know, that's my that's my funnest story so far. So you know, things oh, things goodness. happen. Um, um, but yeah, for those like listening to podcasts, like the hardcores, I again really appreciate it. Really appreciate the support. Like we want to keep, mm-hmm. you know, the main channel going as long as we. You know, as long as I feel like doing it, at least. Um, so spread it, love it, subscribe. I don't know. Uh, do do it, it, or I'll show up in your house and stare at you menacingly and tell you to get a job. <laughs> well, I have a job. Get a better one. <laughs> but yeah, thanks for listening, of course, and um, of course, all the all the episodes are on. Um, I think this is like we're we're in the eighties as far as like episode numbers. So there we go. Everything's on theme. So there's plenty of episodes yeah, yeah, yeah. to archive if you're new or whatever. Um, and we're on Spotify and um, any RSS feed thing that's like that has podcast stuff. So yeah. Any other Leo? You want to end on anything else? Um. Cartoons are rad, and you should watch more of them from various different decades. Because if you get a well-rounded understanding of everything and how it works, you'll be better off intellectually, and you'll get to experience things you weren't aware you'd enjoy. Yeah, yeah. and you know it's always good to understand why you like the thing instead of just consuming the thing. So, you know. All right. Well, we'll see you guys next time on the uh, animation communication, and hopefully, we'll have some more art that isn't just like I don't know if you've noticed, Lyo, but for the YouTube videos, like we just slap like a picture of you of a riddle for now. We're, <laughs> I did. <laughs> we're waiting for the loop to be the the loop to re, be remade, but we don't. Guess what? We don't have a lot of editors right now. So, like, if you know anyone, hit hit us up. You know. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, thanks for listening and I will see you next time on animation communication now, uh, with featuring animals this episode. So. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to Animation Communication on YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting provider. We are really hoping the show makes a difference in how people view animation, as well as media as a whole, as well as giving and providing advice for people all over the world who like and want to join the animation and media industry. If you like what you heard, please remember to show support by giving a like, a follow, rating those five stars, as well as subscribing to our main I Love Kim Possible a Lot channel on YouTube, and turn your notifications on. New episodes of Animation Communication 
should come out every Wednesday at 6 a.m. EST on podcasting platforms and 4 p.m. EST on YouTube. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at the KP Podcast for information on upcoming guest episodes and more, as well as our hosts KP and Lyle Convoy at I Love KP a lot and at Lyle Man Bad on social media. I'm Lucy, and thank you for being a part of our community. See you next time on Animation Communication.